At the end of many classes and events, there's an opportunity to complete an evaluation. The questions are usually standard and unremarkable. What did you like? What might have been better? But one exception to the standard evaluation fair has stuck with me more than two decades later. My favorite undergraduate philosophy professor always included an unusual question at the end of his course evaluations. How might this course be improved in the future other than making the professor 20% smarter? When we asked him what inspired that question, I mean, that's an awfully precise number, right, 20%, uh, he responded in his typically thoughtful manner that he sometimes thought that 20% might actually be the difference between doing what he was able to do, which was to write original scholarship about philosophers like Ludwig Wittgenstein, and what he might be able to do if he was 20% smarter, which is to be a philosopher on the level of Wittgenstein that generations of students might read as opposed to what he said. He's like, probably like 50 people in the world read what I write is what he estimated. So is there a 20% difference between writing about a world-renowned philosopher and being the next world-renowned philosopher um, or whatever the equivalent is in the arenas that you... uh, enter and care about. Maybe there is mixed in with some amount of luck and resolve and grit. But I don't want to underestimate how much difference even 20% can make. I was reminded of that unusual evaluation question when I encountered the best-selling book 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Do any of you know that name? A few. We had a few in the first service. Uh, He's the co-author of ABC's Nightline and the weekend editions of Good Morning America. Some of you may be thinking, 10% happier, is that all? Call me when you're ready to talk about 30% happier or 50% happier. Can I get 100% happier? Uh, Perhaps other of you are thinking, I don't know, 10%, not bad, sign me up, depending on what it takes, right? I mean, after all, if I could guarantee you a 10% increase on a financial investment, that would be a not too bad a return. Part of what inspired Dan Harris to title his book 10% Happier is that he is a skeptic. Uh, Somebody reminded me um, in the middle hour between the two services that his first book, the more memoir one, is called 10% Happier. The other one is called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Uh, So he is a skeptic. He's not so sure about anyone purporting that they can make you 100% happier, all happy, all the time. But he does feel confident in his own experience, experience of uh, experimenting with meditation and related practices that they have made him at least 10% happier. Harris would even go so far as to say that it feels like his experience with meditation often compounds annually, so that he's getting a new 10% on top of a larger sort of uh, base uh, that, is, uh, uh, that he's achieved the previous years. Specifically, he would say, you know, happier is a catch-all. He would say he feels calmer no matter what's happening. He feels more focused. He feels more mindful of what's actually going on in his body. And his reports of his firsthand experience, they line up with an increasing number of scientific studies that show that meditation can be measurably shown to reduce blood pressure 
to boost recovery after the release of the stress hormone cortisol. So like when we have like a flight or fight reaction that it can you know, get us back to equilibrium. It can improve immune system function and response, slow age-related atrophy of the brain. It can med- mitigate the symptoms of depression and anxiety. All that to say, 10% happier seems like a reasonable shorthand for such results. As background, let me tell you a little bit of the story of how a secular, uh, scientific-minded skeptic like Dan Harris came to experiment with a spiritual practice such as meditation. He writes that in 2004, I had a panic attack while delivering the news live on ABC's Good Morning America. Being a masochist, he says, I asked our research department to tell me how many people exactly were watching me have a panic attack. He says they came back with the vastly reassuring number of 5.019 million people. If you're in the mood for a nice dose of schadenfreude, he says, that's on pleasure in other people's pain. The Germans came up with that. Uh, He says you can readily find the whole clip on YouTube. Just Google panic attack on live TV. He says, don't worry, it'll pop right up. It's really awesome for me. And so that experience, a lot of people come to meditation a lot of different ways, but that was his real impetus of, I need to find a new way to live with my anxiety. And by no means was meditation his only um, thing. He also tried therapy, he added in medication. But there's actually not a, there's a reason that meditation and medication are quite similar words, right? The dosage matters, they're, they're quite related things, actually. Uh, and he's received significant benefit, yet I appreciate that his book-related podcast and smartphone apps that has like guided meditation and interviews, they're actually still called 10% happier. He's trying to keep it real, you know, not 20% happier or 100% happier. Indeed, he confesses that if his wife were to write a rejoinder to his book, 10% happier, she said she'd call it something like 10% happier, 90% still a moron. Likewise, his brother has suggested that his book about Dan might be titled From Deeply Flawed to Merely Flawed. (laughs) That being said, if I had to choose between deeply flawed and merely flawed, I'd take merely flawed every day of the week. I appreciate as well that Harris is honest and transparent, not only about his own experience, but also about his observations of meditation teachers that he's interviewed over the years. Uh, Consider, for instance, his interview with the spiritual teacher on Deepak Chopra. Chopra claimed in the interview, you know, I am perennially present. Yet, Harris says, we filmed him pounding down the street while furiously typing on his Blackberry and then voraciously devouring um, articles on his Kindle while ostensibly working out on an elliptical machine. He claimed in the interview to live in a state of flow and of effortless spontaneity. But he seemed pretty focused on mundane self-promotion. While publicizing his latest book, he was constantly lobbying a reporter to follow him on Twitter, and when shooting a promotional video, he told me, quote, make sure I don't look fat. Harris says, for my money, this didn't strike me as the actions of a man living in true and complete total harmony with himself.
And I don't want to unduly single out Chopra, rather I'm using him as one of many examples of spiritual teachers who arguably are making inflated claims about their attainments. Harris, in turn, is arguably erring on the side of caution with his tagline that meditations only made him 10% happier. That relatively low percentage also reflects his ongoing interest in really interrogating what is and isn't possible for we imperfect human beings to achieve. If you, I don't always listen to his podcast, but I do periodically, and he's really consistent about when people use kind of spiritual jargon, he'll say, what do you mean by that? What did you really experience? He really presses people to to be uh, real about what they're talking about. And in general, one of the greatest myths in meditation spiritual circles is the claim that a sort of perfection is possible. I'll let you in on an open secret. It isn't. As you've heard me quote before, we are saved from perfection, and that actually can be a tremendously liberating place to start. Anyone who tells you they are perfect or that they can save you from all pain and suffering, in, in my experience, is either lying or psychotically deluded. Even if you look at the story of the Buddha, you know, he really experienced tremendous um, shift in his experience, liberation in a lot of ways, but he still had back pain. He lived a long time. Like, there was still trouble in his life, but in in many ways his relationship to that shifted, but it wasn't like he lived in some total constant bliss state. By all means, we can get happier, calmer, kinder, but we remain within the limits of the human condition. The only time we're not limited by the human condition is that none of us are getting out of this alive, right? That's the only way you get out of the human condition. I'll give you one other recent example. I was saddened to learn this summer that Dr. John Yates, a neuroscientist also known by the name of Chuladasa in spiritual meditation circles, was credibly accused of sexual misconduct, some of which he has admitted to, and he's been removed as spiritual director of the organization that he led. In this case, the misconduct was not with his students, but it was neither the first nor the last time that an authentic spiritual teacher has been um, embroiled in an ethical scandal. I've never met Chuladasa personally, but I have read his book, The Mind Illuminated, and to me, it remains one of the clearest, most accessible, and helpful meditation manuals I've found. Uh, I've also listened to numerous interviews with him over the years. It seems evident to myself and many other people that he has attained high levels of authentic spiritual experience, and that doesn't go away just because of an ethical infraction. At the same time, clearly he has some work to do in the area of ethics. Sometimes I tell people that we, we can sometimes get confused that someone who has attained high achievement in one area, we assume they're totally evolved in every other area. They're like, how could this professional football player be, be um, guilty of domestic violence, right? Well, just because someone is kinesthetically gifted and brilliant and hardworking doesn't mean they're emotionally intelligent. It doesn't mean that they're... And so the same thing is like with spirituality. You can be tremendously spiritually um, inside and have tremendous spiritual experience and still be embezzling on the side like these... Anyway, that's, that's just the case. I don't know if I'm bursting any... If I am, then that's actually to the good. So while I can't promise you perfection, I can promise you the potential for improvement. So if you've ever found yourself even a little bit meditation curious, let me tell you just a little bit of what I've learned over the years. Part of what I did this past summer on sabbatical was to attend my third eight-day meditation retreat. I've done about one a year for the past few years. 
And on that retreat, I did have a handful of remarkable experiences that I won't bore you with of incredibly focused concentration. Uh, I also won't bore you with details of the many hours that I spent that weren't actually that remarkable on my meditation cushion. And although those peak experiences, that's part of what drew me to meditation was interest in kind of experiencing what's possible for myself. I've come to be at least as interested in the more mundane things that what I experience on my meditation cushion, how that shows up in the rest of my life, the uh, you know practicing compassion or concentration or mindfulness in my on the meditation cushion shows up in being more compassionate and mindful and concentrated in the rest of my life. Uh, while on that retreat, I happened to stumble upon a poem by Anne Hillman that helps point towards the fruit of the meditative journey. The end of that path is not perfection, but perhaps something more along the lines of the following. She writes, We look not with certainty, we look with uncertainty, beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers, to a softer, more permeable aliveness, which at every moment at the brink of death, for something new is being born in us if we but let it. We stand at a new doorway awaiting that which comes, daring to be not perfect, but human creatures, vulnerable to the beauty of existence and learning to love. In the final lines of that poem, Hillman speaks powerfully of how we can cultivate that softer, more permeable aliveness by daring to be a human creature. We open ourselves to new possibility by practicing vulnerability to the beauty of existence. We learn to love by practicing love toward ourselves and others. And what we choose to practice is key. You know, one of my mentors used to say, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. You know, whatever you're practicing, you're getting that groove in. One of the best analogies I've found for practicing meditation, especially early on, is it's actually akin in maybe surprising ways to pretty much any other practice, whether music or sports or going to the gym. No one plays like Yo-Yo Ma at their first cello lesson. Most people don't ever play like Yo-Yo Ma, right? No one plays soccer like Megan Rapinoe on their first time off the bench. Most people never play as well as she does. No one can bench press their own body weight the first time they work out, unless they're like perversely genetically gifted. Uh, And even if most of us won't ever achieve such heights, we can improve with practice. And deepening on the pra- and depending on the practice you choose, what you're trying to do with meditation is if you're practicing returning your attention to your breath, you're strengthening that concentration muscle. You may, you may be starting with a five, the equivalent of a five-pound weight, but you're gonna, you get stronger if you keep at it. You may start with trying to practice mindfulness. You get stronger at it. Your noticings per minute will go up. Uh, practicing a passion, you'll find that your heart is more open. You may start out with a breathing meditation in which you feel like you get distracted a thousand times, but each time that you gently bring your... And do that gently, right? Don't self-lacerate, because then you're practicing that, right? Gently bring your focus back to your breath. You're, you're slowly strengthening those muscles. Over time, what you're practicing becomes more second nature. Two of the most helpful guidelines that I try to remind myself of from some of my primary meditation teachers are that breathing is home base. And noting is your go-to move. Breathing is home base, and noting is your go-to move. If you're freaking out, you're not sure what to do, take a deep breath. Go back to home base where you feel safe and secure if you can. Take a step back, maybe physically, maybe just psychologically. 
breathe in and out. Breathing is home base. And when you're ready, noting is a go-to move. What's really happening in just a word or two with your experience, your simplest sensate level, not all your stories about what's happening, but just what's actually going on with your body beyond just what's most immediately. Like I can notice right now, I can feel it's not just whatever I'm thinking about, it's the coolness of the air on my skin, it's the pressure of my feet on the floor, it's the embodiedness, it's the sensation of breathing in and out. Like pay attention to that sensate level of your experience. John Kabat-Zinn says that meditation is not about feeling a certain way, it's about actually feeling the way you really feel. Not trying to get to something, just beginning, beginning more in touch with feeling how you feel. And what you'll notice is that when you feel what you really feel, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, if you keep paying attention to it, you'll notice over time that it's impermanent. It changes. This too shall pass, whether good, bad, ugly, or beautiful. And that impermanence is really key, getting, getting in touch with that. Dan Harris says that before he came up with the title 10% Happier, his working title for his book, is that the voice in my head is a bleep. Uh, You can insert the word that you think he said in that bleep because he didn't say bleep. It's something uh, maybe inadvisable to say from the pulpit. So when that voice in your head is being unhelpful, remember, breathing is home base. Noting is your go-to move. Take a deep breath and note not the content of your thoughts, just note oh, I'm thinking right now, I'm anticipating right now, or just note, hmm, anxiety, that's happening right now, right? Give yourself just a little bit of distance um, from that voice. Then keep breathing and note whatever is happening in your experience to just kind of widen out your experience. Anyone ever have trouble sleeping because they uh, were worried about something or thinking back through something in your day? All right, seeing less hands. The first service is more neurotic than you all, or, or more honest, one or the other. Uh, This happens to me sometimes, not all the time, and some of what I think to myself when that's happening, whether thinking about a conflict or thinking anxiety about something coming up, I'll sometimes think, why am I inviting these people that I'm in conflict with into my bed? That's one thing, I think. And then I sometimes, and then I'll do some of what I'm talking about. I'll take a deep breath. And then I'll just kind of notice things like, what else is going on in my experience besides this anticipation and this anxiety? I'll think, oh, I'm feeling the softness of this bed, the warmness of the covers. I'm feeling, you know, so you can, you can shift, notice what else is going on in your experience. Make it bigger, make it more spacious. Along these lines, the meditation teacher, Gold, Joseph Goldstein, also says you can try shifting the framework and pretending that voice in your head is actually the voice of another person. And most of us are pretty um, better with saying that just because someone gives us advice, we don't have to take it, right? Well, just because you're giving yourself advice doesn't mean you have to take that advice, right? You don't have to believe everything you think, Right? So if you've ever been meditation curious, I encourage you to give it a try. Keep your eye on the order of service or our e-newsletter. There's various opportunities to meditate with the support of groups. Uh, I'm glad to recommend other options of books or apps. Uh, And if you're clear that meditation is not your jam, that's fine. There are other contemplative options. Whatever helps you kind of be in the moment. Uh, So yoga, spending time in nature, singing in the choir is a great um, kind of uh, activity that can increase happiness. Uh, Cooking, doing some kind of art. Um, I'd also add that you don't have to start with sitting on a meditation cushion for 20 minutes. One deep, intentional breath can make all the difference and begin to, to shift your inner weather.
Um, even better, take a minute. You know, my, my watch reminds me a few times throughout the day. Uh, it'll say things like, a, a minute of deep breathing will help calm you. And I want to be honest with you that it's much easier for you to meditate for 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour in the morning than to do a minute of meditation in the middle of the day. Because there's times I'm in the middle of stuff, my watch will beep, and, and I'll be like, you're stressing me out. You're giving me one more thing to do, right? I don't even have a, I feel like I don't even have a minute. But if I actually take that minute and just, and a minute actually feels like a long time. It feels like much longer in the middle of things than it does. And that's part of the point. Uh, a minute can really make a difference. Likewise, if you can't make a yoga class, spend a few minutes stretching. If you can't get to choir practice that week, you know, sing a song loudly in your car or in the shower. Give yourself the gift of doing the practices that make you 10% or whatever percentage happier. I'll tell you one last thing. I sometimes, so part of what gets me on the meditation cushion sometimes is not even just my own spiritual growth, but the way in which I want to show up for other people. It's not just about, I think of it sometimes as mental hygiene, the way I think about like oral hygiene, like I wouldn't kind of go out of the house without brushing my teeth. It's both for me because I want my teeth long term, but also you probably want me to brush my teeth. You know, so I also think about like meditation is kind of my mental hygiene that to, to, so that I'm going to show up not only for myself, but for other people. And so again, it may or may not be meditation for you, but are you doing those things that help you show up in the world that you, the ways in which you are your best self? May you continue your journey with love. Care for one another and care for this one earth. Do justice and make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you out into the world. Uh, We're different for having spent this time together. May you live boldly. May you live with thanksgiving.